We're continuing our series called I Believe in the Church, and we've been going through the last six weeks through the letter of Paul to the Ephesians to help us understand, to recalibrate and readjust our understanding of what the church is, who the church is, what the church is, how is the church supposed to function in this world and in the light of everything going on in this world and in our culture. And so we're continuing with Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 through 13 this morning. So Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1 through 13. Hear the word of God. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, don't miss that, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you to not lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word, which is living and active And Lord, I pray that this morning, as we open up your word, that by your grace and by your spirit, it would come alive. Lord, I pray that you would remove all distractions. Lord, we come into this place weary and heavy laden. And so, Lord, I ask by your grace and through the preaching of your word, and the receiving of the sacrament of Lord's Supper, would you fill us? Would you fill our weary souls so that we would leave seeing Jesus and going out from this place that he is taking our lives and making all things new. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running that I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. In the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. 
Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window too. And I said I would be scrunched. I said I would be smushed. I said if I don't get a seat by the window, I am going to be carsick. And no one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At school, Mrs. Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. At singing time, she said, I sang too loud. At counting time, she said, I left out 16. Who needs 16 anyway? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. It's one of my favorite books. It's Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And while we laugh at a fictional story that we read as a kid, or that maybe we even read to our kids now today, the reality of the hardness of life is no laughing matter. And although we laugh at this short story, the reality that life is difficult and life is hard is nothing to laugh about. That for all of us, we have gotten up, maybe even gotten up this morning, and like Alexander said, today is going to be a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. For some of you here this morning, you are going through a season of life that every day you wake up, and the moment you step out of bed, you know it is going to be a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. And for the Apostle Paul here... For all of his theological insights that he has provided for us the last two chapters, what some might call this ivory tower theology, and it has been amazing as he talks to us about the theology of the, the church and talks about, to us about the theology of our salvation and how we have been rescued and how he is creating the new humanity. I am thankful for Paul here in chapter 3 because he basically what he's doing here in chapter 3 is says, I'm going to take a time out and I'm going to get real with you guys. I'm going to come down from the ivory tower And I'm going to kind of let you into what's going on in my life personally. Because maybe you could get the impression that everything is going so well. And if you just kind of simply believe in chapter 1 and 2, life is going to not be full of any hardships or difficulties. Or you're not going to have that horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. But in fact, in chapter 3, he lets you into what's going on in his life. And we know what's going on in his life if we read historically. And I have a historical understanding of what's going on with Paul. But Paul actually lets us into what's happening right here. He actually lets us in uh, in verse 1 and verse 13. At the very beginning of the passage I read and the very end of the passage I read, what does he say? In verse 1 he says, I'm a prisoner. And at the very end he says that he's suffering. So we know that Paul is in a Roman prison writing this letter. This is one of his prison epistles or prison letters. Paul was in prison for his preaching of the gospel. Paul was imprisoned for his faith. And Paul is not only experiencing prison, but being beaten and experiencing excruciating hardships in life. Paul could easily say, I am having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And he wants to let us into his reality and say, do not get the impression that my life is easy. 
Do not get the impression that my, my life is, is, is just smooth sailing now that I have received Christ. But I think what Paul does here in the midst of him getting real with his audience and, and, and letting us into what's going on in his life and his heart, he gives us an incredible perspective for not moving beyond brokenness and suffering and not avoiding brokenness and suffering and not avoiding hardships of life. But what he does is he says, right in the midst of hardship and brokenness of life, he gives us an incredible perspective of how to respond He gives us an incredible perspective here in these 13 verses of how you respond in light of everything you've heard in chapter 1 and 2, in light of everything I've told you about the gospel, this is what it looks like to respond in light of the brokenness of life and the hardships of life. Not avoiding it, not going around it, not dismissing it, not excusing it, but going right through it, but this is how you deal with it. And here's how he responds. And briefly this morning, before we partake of the Lord's Supper, I want us to look at these three things. How does Paul respond in the midst of brokenness and suffering? The first thing we see here is in verse 1. He points out our identity. What does he say here? He reminds us of the importance of identity in Christ. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. What's significant there about identity? Paul could have easily said, for this reason, I, Paul, suffering as a prisoner under Nero, my freedom ripped away from me, beaten every day, thrown in a prison for, the, for, 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 for Christ and for preaching the gospel and for advancing the church. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even mention Nero. He doesn't even mention Rome. He says, for I, Paul, he understood my life does not belong to Nero. My life does not belong to the world. My life does not belong to the Roman Empire. I, even though I am suffering hardship and persecution and suffering, I will never forget, even in the midst of my brokenness and suffering, who I belong to. I am a prisoner who? Of Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to say in that verse, on behalf of who? The Gentiles. That is so important for us to remember. This is Paul, who was once at one time Saul, who did what? who persecuted the Gentiles. Don't miss that. He understands his identity in Christ. I, Paul, prisoner not of Nero, prisoner of Christ, the one who used to lead the church, the one who used to persecute the Gentiles. No, now I'm the servant of the Gentiles. He understands what Christ has done for him in the moment of brokenness, in his moment of weakness, in his moment of suffering. He does not go to, he does not go over the deep end, but he embraces his suffering but he never forgets who he is. And it's so important for us this morning, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your brokenness, for those that are in Christ, for you to never forget who you are. You often will see people, the danger of forgetting who you are, you will often see people becoming their circumstances. They become their circumstances. They become their trouble. They begin to embody the the suffering and brokenness of life. And and they forget who they are. You often hear people say, oh, that person just wears their emotions on their sleeves. But the reality is we all do it. 
And we always do it when we forget. When we forget who we are and we begin to embody our circumstances, we begin to embody our problems, we begin to embody our stress, we begin to embody our trouble, we begin to embody our brokenness. And Paul says, don't do it. I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. So the first thing we have to remember when we respond, we are called to respond in the midst of brokenness and suffering by remembering our identity. It's not who I am. My circumstances are not who I am, and your circumstances are not who you are. For those that are in Christ, that's not who you are any longer. You are a child of the King, a child of God. But Paul not only points out his new identity, he also goes on and he explains the power and the purpose of the church. And we see that here in verse 10. Skip down to 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. But before we go to the church, look at four times here in this passage. What does Paul talk about? He does it in verse 3. He does it in verse 4. He does it in verse 6. And he does it in verse 9. What does he use? He uses one word in verse 3, 4, 6, and 9, he uses the word mystery, but then in verse 10 he says, this is how the mystery is solved. He says, in the, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the mystery of life, right? We've all been there. You might be there today going, why is this happening to me? Why does that happen to this person? Why does this happen to our church? Why does this happen to my family? Why does this happen over and over again? But one thing that you did not come in here this morning, you did not come in here this morning going, I wonder if life is hard. I wonder if people suffer. I wonder if life is difficult. That is not a mystery, right? If you are breathing this morning, you woke up going, I know one thing for sure, life is hard. I know one thing for sure, that life is stressful. I know one thing for sure, that that the world is broken. That is not a mystery to anybody, right? The one thing that is a mystery is how in the world is God gonna solve it? Fix it, preacher, exactly. How is God going to fix it? That is the mystery. And we find it here in verse 10. Do not miss this. If you remember one thing this morning, remember this in verse 10. What does God use to reveal how God himself through Jesus Christ will fix the world? The church. So not only does Paul in the midst of his suffering and brokenness say, remember who you are, remember your identity, he says, remember the power and the purpose of the church. He says it's the church that will do what in verse 10? The church will reveal the manifold wisdom of God and make known to the authorities in the heavenly places. How will this world be fixed? How will the brokenness of your life be fixed? How will the brokenness of this world be fixed? It will be fixed by the church. And you might go, yeah, but, but, but churches are messy. Churches are, are broken. Churches disappoint. Paul understood that, I think. Have you ever read First and Second Corinthians? I think he knew something about messy churches. I think he knew something about leaders that fail and mess up. I think he knew something about churches that 
that don't always live up to expectations. And he says, no, 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 no. It's not about the man leading. It's not about the man preaching. It's not about the people that are serving. That church belongs to God. It's God's church. And actually, in spite of sin, in spite of men, God will still advance his church. Jesus does not say, I will build my church, and as long as everybody does what they're supposed to do, the gates of hell will not prevail. He says, actually, in spite of it, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so he, remi- he, is remind- he reminds us of the power of the church. What a beautiful thing. That of all the ways God, in his infinite wisdom, could have said, I've got to figure out some way to, 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 to reveal the mystery, to, to solve the mystery of all the ways I could have chosen to let people know how this world's going to be fixed. He said, it's not going to be done through one individual person. It's not going to be done through a charity. It's not going to be done through the organization down the street. It's not going to be done by a club. Of all the ways in his infinite wisdom, he said there's one way, there's one vehicle, there's one means in which this world will be fixed, and it's the church. It is the church of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing. And it changes the way you think about the church. No longer, if you understand verse 10, no longer can you say the church isn't relevant in the 21st century. No longer can you say, I don't support the church. No longer do you say... This might get uncomfortable. I'm no longer going to give to the church and participate in the church and volunteer at my church. Why? Because the church is the only, the only vehicle that God promises that this will be the means by which the world is fixed. This is the means by which lives are healed. This is the means by which the world will be turned upside down and made, made right again. Only the church. And here's the amazing thing in verse 10. Who are the authorities in the heavenly places? You see, in the Old Testament, the reason people followed God and people did ministry in the Old Testament, it was for the nation, right? The whole reason God set apart a nation the nation of Israel, was to point people and to give them the law and the ordinances, was to point people to the holiness of God. But Paul says here in the New Testament, it's not just about showing the wisdom of God to a nation. He says the church, the church of Jesus Christ, is going to put on display for the heavenly authorities the power and the majesty and the redemption of God. That is an amazing thing, that even the angels and the demons will look down from heaven and go through the church. They will look at the work of the church in the world and go, wow, that is amazing. And that is good news. Only the church, only through the church will the world know God's good news. Only through the church will they understand the purpose of redemption. That's why we do what we do. It's why we go out and fight against darkness. It's why we enter into the darkness. It's why we minister to broken families. It's why we serve the homeless. It's why we rescue the orphans. It's why we build homes. It's why we feed our widows. It's why we disciple our children. It's why we declare the good news. It's why we're going to take a deacon's offering at the end of this service. It's why we build a school 40 years ago. It's why we plant churches and fight racism 
That is why, so we can tell the world that God is on his throne and he's making all things new. That's why we do what we do. And only the church, only the church can offer this hope for the broken. Only the church has this answer. And lastly, how do we respond in the midst of brokenness? Remember your identity. Remember who you are. Remember the power and the purpose of the church in the midst of the brokenness, that you can't do this alone. And lastly, remember the beauty of suffering. Verse 13. So I ask you, Paul, in the midst of his suffering, he says to them, don't lose heart. You can imagine that they were discouraged. You can imagine that their leader is in prison. This thing's not working. (laughs) This this message isn't reaching anybody. Paul's now in prison. How's this thing going to, how's this thing going to work? And Paul says, don't lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. How, what does he mean by that? When we think of glory, what do we think of? The word glory means something magnificent, right? It'd be, it, it, it's something beautiful. It's something powerful. It's something marvelous. When we talk about the glory of God, it's not a small thing. And here Paul says, don't lose heart because my suffering is for your glory. It doesn't make sense. How can the two go together? How can suffering and glory be paired? The only way suffering and glory can go together, the only way that suffering and brokenness can lead to glory is if we know that there is one that has come that has defeated suffering once and for all so that we know That even though we suffer, even though we live in the midst of brokenness, even though we live in the midst of loss and disappointment, we know this, that for those that are in Christ, there is one that has come, that has taken on our suffering, that has taken on our brokenness, that has taken on our disappointments, that has taken on our loss, and done it in such a way that we have the confidence that our suffering will never destroy us. Listen to that. Because of Jesus Christ, your suffering and your brokenness and your loss will never destroy you. It will never destroy you. In fact, for those that are in Christ, it is in the midst of your suffering and brokenness and weakness that what? Christ is seen that Christ is lifted up, that we can say, like I said a few weeks ago, if we are going to boast in anything, what? We boast in the cross. That's why Paul is able to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, what does he say? He says, I will boast in my weakness because that is when the world will see the marvelous beauty of Jesus Christ and that the world can see that you can take everything away from me, that I can live in the midst of brokenness, that I can live in the midst of suffering, but because of Christ, I have everything. There's nothing you can take away from me because he has taken on our weakness and he has taken on our brokenness and he has taken on our suffering. And for those that are in Christ this morning, in the midst of the brokenness, you are hidden in Christ and covered by his blood. In 2008, there was a massacre in Mumbai. 200 people gathering in the Taj Mahal Palace in Mumbai were 
caught off guard by a terrorist attack. And they were shot in a bloody massacre. And there was one survivor. And the person interviewing him afterwards say, said, how in the world did you survive? Everyone else is dead. He said, I was covered in blood. He said, what do you mean? I was uncovered by somebody else's blood. They left me for dead. See, for those that are in Christ this morning, you're covered in blood. But you're covered in somebody else's blood. And you're hidden in Christ. And by his cross, and by his death, and by his resurrection, so that even in the midst of our brokenness, even in the midst of the pain, we can have the confidence this morning that we, our lives might be a mess, and they are. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are a beautiful mess this morning. Amen. And now that we have received this, now that we have received this good news, I leave you with the words of Paul in verse 2. What does he call himself? He calls himself a prisoner of Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard in verse 2 of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for who? For you. We have the privilege and the opportunity to now go out when we leave this place and tell people, tell a broken world, to tell broken people that there is an answer to the mystery of life. And his name's Jesus Christ. And that in Jesus Christ, although our lives might be messy, although our lives might be broken, God looks down and looks at us and sees something of beauty. Go and tell the world that Jesus is alive and well and making all things new.